If you are new, uh, my name is Manny Pollard. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be teaching out of Genesis 33. Um, and you can grab your Bibles, pull up it on your pull it up on your phone. We do have Bibles in the racks in the seats in front of you. Um, last week we were in chapter 32, uh, but we're so glad that you can be here. But let's go on ahead and start in prayer, and then uh, we'll, we will get going. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you um, that we can come together. Um, thank you for those that are on line with us, watching live, uh, those that are here. God, would you help us evade distraction this morning? Would you allow us to be a little more focused on what you have for us and teaching us? I even pray that for myself. Um, but God, that you would be glorified this morning, that we would be transformed and renewed in mind through your scripture, um, and that you would meet us where we are this morning. We do pray for our children's ministry in the back. Thank you for those faithful volunteers and leaders. And we just um, pray that you would continue to plant seeds of truth for generations to come in our children. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Um, do I have any uh, This Is Us fans in here? Yeah, okay, I got one. I got one. I got a few. Okay, well, this is the last season of This Is Us, um, and it's, it's a great family story. There's, there's tragedy. There's conflict. There's a lot of tension, um, and it is a, you know, a story of a conventional family. Uh, one thing that's unconventional is uh, there are triplets, and two of them are biological, um, and one is adopted, okay? One is adopted. His name is Randall, okay? He gets adopted on the same day that the, the twins are born, um, and I could go into more details, but Randall is adopted, and he was abandoned and left at a fire station, and he um, happens to, uh, you know, come to be 36 years old, and that's where the show kind of starts, and he had never met his biological father, uh, but he comes to an impasse where he has an opportunity to meet his father, right? And a lot of things start to rise up in Randall. A lot of trauma, a lot of things in his past, and he gets an opportunity to meet his biological father. Spoiler alert, if you've never seen the show, it's really soon in the series, so I don't think I'm ruining it for anybody, uh, but uh, he meets his father. His name is William, and he has a troubled past, right? And these two paths collide, and through that journey, we get to follow him along in several seasons where Randall finds healing. And then things come up and boil over and other things are exposed. And, and it's, it's a very beautiful picture of what happens to us when we are longing for something, but a lot of conflict boils up, right? And so what's happening in chapters 32 and 33 is, is kind of this high mountain moment where Jacob is called from the Lord to go back to Canaan, but he knows he has to encounter some conflict, right? And Johnny last week did a great job. I encourage you to go back if you didn't have an opportunity, uh, watch it on YouTube. And I need to mention, I have never mentioned this before, we actually have a podcast on any of those, you know, places you can get a podcast of our sermons. So if you don't have time to go watch the YouTube video because you got to sit down and like listen to it or whatever, we do have podcasts on all those podcasting stations, Spotify, Apple, other areas too, but we have that. So that, if that makes it easier, I would definitely encourage you to do that. And you can also probably listen to it two times speed, depending on who's talking really slow. Might be me, might be someone else, I don't know. But again, Johnny did a great job. I would go back and recap that. But there's some things that I want to I go back on before we start reading in chapter 33. Um, and, you know, there's the big wrestling match, right? Which is a mystery to some of us because all of a sudden, you know, Jacob is, is preparing to meet Esau. Uh, he already is feeling threatened. He's feeling this angst of this, this meeting with Esau. Why? Because, you know, over 20 years ago, he stole his blessing, right? He deceived everyone, and he went away. Esau did his thing. And the last time, what was Esau trying to do? He was trying to kill him, right? So, I would understand. The last time I saw, saw, someone, saw, saw someone and they were going to say, I'm, I'm going to take your life and I have to flee, I might be a little scared too, right? A lot of things might come up in that. But, so Esau is preparing and he has an encounter with the Lord and he wrestles with him. 
We don't need to go through that. Johnny did a great job kind of unpacking wrestling with the Lord for us personally. Um, but what's happening is God is, you know, letting him know that he's in control. Now, if I, if I have any wrestling fans in here, maybe you were a wrestler growing up. Not WWE wrestling, okay? I grew up in the, you know, raw and attitude era of WWF, and I loved it. We can talk about that another time. But I'm talking about, you know, freestyle wrestling, the hardcore, you know, you, you have a lot of discipline, and you are just battling out in freestyle wrestling. I have any wrestlers in here? Oh, a few. Okay, good. We can, we can relate. Okay, well, um, I was not a wrestler myself, okay? But I, I grew up with a friend from grade school through high school and a little bit of college that uh, he was a wrestler, and I would go and support him. And I watched him from when he was a freshman in high school um, where he went 0-18 in his varsity year, but he was good enough to wrestle in varsity, but he went 0-18. How defeating is that, right? Zero wins, 18 losses, just in case you don't know what 0-18 means. But over a four-year span, he goes from 0-18 to becoming a state championship winner in Colorado. We got to go to Pepsi Center and watch him and cheer him on. And sometimes you're a little confused. There's a lot going on. But uh, we got to celebrate that victory. And then he went on to wrestle at a premier college at Wisconsin. And we got to celebrate that. And one thing, as his friend, I admired the discipline he had, the work ethic that the whole team had. Um, but, you know, my kids have just started jumping into wrestling. And one thing that's different about the wrestling culture than most sports, and I'm sure there's a degree of it, but it, it, it's kind of an unspoken respect for one another, an un, uh, unspoken respect and honor because they realize how much work the individual puts in to the sport at a different degree. And also they're fighting each other. Right? They're wrestling each other to the ground. They're bringing them to submission. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't love being wrestled down to submission. It's not my favorite. Okay? But I, I love that. And so we go to a tournament. Um, we were at a tournament out in Falcon. And it, it's chaos. Okay? If you've ever walked into a gym, it's just filled with thousands of people at a little middle school gym. And people are cheering. People, the whistles are being blown on different you know, mats, there's, I mean, there's 20 different matches going on all at once, okay? It's insane. Uh, but, you know, our, our sons wrestle, and uh, one of ours uh, wins, and then the next time he loses, there's just a lot of emotion that just comes in and out. And it flows for me, too, as a spectator. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? But the one thing I love, my, my son did lose, but the parents that were on the opposing side with their son, they just they are like, oh, man, that was so fun. That was so great. And they go to my son, and, and they say, great job. Like, man, there's just a lot of honor and respect that happens with that, right? And, and in an encounter for, for God and Jacob that happened in 32 is this was not a doomsday encounter or a really a bad thing, okay? It was, it was about a struggle of a man that was once a deceiver, was once a liar. Also, he felt a certain entitlement, what did he want from the Lord in that wrestling match? He wanted a blessing, a blessing he didn't understand, right? It was about God coming and say, hey, I know the true blessing. If you see there, uh, we talked about this Thursday night in a group that uh, I'm a part of here at the church. We talked about how he ended, the angel of the Lord or the Lord ended up blessing him anyway. My guess is it was a different blessing than what Jacob walked away with what he wanted, right? He walked away with the, the true blessing from the Lord. And we talked about what that blessing was that Jacob wanted, um, but he, here's the deal. Jacob walked away with a different perspective. When you wrestle with the Lord, you walk away with a different perspective than going in, right? I went into the gym. I mean, all this chaos is happening. I want my son to win. It's crazy. He won one. We're so proud. And then he loses, and you see this emotion come out, and then you walk away with this perspective of honor and respect. And when we wrestle with the Lord, man, he, he loves us, and he cares for us, and he wants to pour out his mercy on us in love and honor and respect. Not just to break us down and feel terrible and put shame and guilt on us. 
you can imagine over this long period of time as Jacob had deceived, um, well, deceived Isaac and deceived um, Esau, that probably, that had a lot of weight on him, right? A lot of weight on him, probably in, in the right ways. He, he was starting to become convicted of heart. Not just like, well, that's not a big deal. He realizes the semblance of it all over this, this time period, right? And this is where, though, at, the, at 33, we get into the providence of, of what God was doing for Jacob, his faithfulness there on the spot. Now, one last thing. At the end of 32, if you have your Bibles open to 33, if you just look up or over, um, it will say, you know, they decide, okay, we're going to keep moving on. We're going to go have our encounter with Esau. And in verse 32, it says, therefore, this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon of the, atta- uh, sorry, tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Okay. Why, why, do, why do they decide, like, oh, we're not going to eat this tendon anymore? Traditionally. It was uh, a reminder. It was a reminder to them that, you know, they all have to deal and answer to the Lord at some point, the way Jacob did. So if you can imagine, as the Israelites were, were growing up, they would be reminded of not eating this tendon, and a, a child might say, hey, Mommy, why, why don't we eat this piece? You know, as they watch them, you know, butcher whatever, whatever they were eating, right? And they said, well, because of this encounter that Jacob had with the Lord, right? It reminding them that we all have to answer him, answer to him. And this wrestling match, right, it's pretty personal. It's personal for all of us. It looks different. Um, it's, but it's not only personal, it's, it's intimate. And sometimes... We want other people to um, wrestle the Lord for us. This is what's happening to Jacob, right? If you see in 32, he, he's trying to make all these other things happen. He wants to go bring um, troves, or droves, excuse me, and other gifts already to Esau so he doesn't have to approach him in that pivotal moment before 33. He's trying to ignore it. And a good example, you know, again, we want others' counsel. That's great. We want other people to intercede for us in prayer when we encounter the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. But when it comes to that personal encounter, no one else can do it but you. No one else can. And you can have other people in your community help lead you there, pray with you. But sometimes we misunderstand that uh, specifically pastors, um, you know, some people have an expectation that uh, the pastor is supposed to do the dirty work. That's what they do in the Catholic Church, right? They do the, dirt, the dirty work through confession or other religions. This is a one-on-one exchange. Parents, too. We take the role for our kids to sometimes do the, the dirty work of the Lord, if you will, but that's, that's not how it works. And it can hinder a person's growth. I mean, you say, well, Manny, it doesn't say to bear one another's burdens. yes. We are. Tangibly, we're supposed to bear one, other burden, one another's burdens. We're also supposed to, again, be praying for them and lifting them up to the Lord. But we cannot just let them be on our coattails, if you will. Right? That it's one-on-one. That's what's happening to Jacob. He's starting to come to this realization. So they move on, and we can look at chapter 33. Let's get there. Get your eyes on that. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. Um, but chapter 33 of Genesis. And as we go along, I'm going to be stopping. Usually I read all the way through, but I'll be stopping at different points, okay? And it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now, real quick, I'll pause. Um, you know, what is he doing here? He's, he's trusting the Lord, but he's also strategizing just in case things go south, right? He's, you know, if you were, I guess, being chased and you were in a pack of people, you might say, hey, let's split up so they can't get us all, right? So he, he's acting still with a little bit of trepidation, 
not knowing what to expect. And, you know, and they're going in caravans, if you can imagine being in a desert, and you're kind of like, okay, how about you guys go a little bit this way? Some uh, people would argue that this is a cowardly move. I don't think that he's trying to um, really put his family before himself. He's just trying, you know, he's always been thinking and manipulating situations, and so he can't get away from that too much, but he's preparing himself for that, right? Now, verse 3 says, he himself went on before them, bowing to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now, bowing, what, what is bowing a symbolism of? Anyone? Humbling yourself? Worshiping? Oh, yeah, great. Respect? Okay, so traditionally, right, when uh, in, in, in submission, so traditionally um, in Asian cultures, you know, we watch a movie that we see and they are entering um, maybe um, a high authority's um, presence. The doors open, they walk in, and what do they do? They bow, right? The, it, it, it culturally is a symbolism of saying, hey, I have, um, I'm declaring I have no aggression here, okay? I'm not coming in aggressively. That, I, that I'm humbling myself and saying, this is yours, and I'm not trying to, I guess, have an agenda or put myself above something else. Right? That's why they would do it. If someone came in and did not do that to the majesty or whatever, it would be taken as, hey, you are trying to threaten my authority here, right? Um, so this is a, a look of submission. Also, he bellowed seven times, and what does the number seven represent in the word? C completion, right? That Jacob has come to a place of, of complete understanding of like, okay, I'm trusting the Lord with this, and I'm going to respect and humble myself before this encounter with Esau, okay? Uh, verse 4, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Man, if I was a betting man, I would not predict for this to happen. If it was written right, you know, right live, okay? Verse 5, and when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Again, you notice the respect. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Okay, so some context there. He says, what do you mean by all this com company that I met? You might have a version that, that says droves. Um, it, it was just, again, Jacob was sending people ahead of him to give gifts and treasures and all this plunder to, to kind of avoid the situation. And so he's I was like, I'm really confused. I knew I was going to encounter you at some point, and you keep on giving me gifts before I even get to you, right? And so that's what he's asking. What, what do you mean by this? And he says, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Okay, so again, this was Jacob's turning, his changing, saying, I'm, I'm trying to be obedient by giving of myself. Because you, know you know what he was? He was a taker. I mean, he took so much from, from even in the womb when he's coming out, he's grabbing the heel until now. He's trying to take, trying to fight. And so it's him being obedient. Verse 9, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if you have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. Now, we could talk about receiving things, right, in a conflict. When we receive things, um, maybe not even a conflict, just receiving things, what, it, what are some emotions that come to us when we receive gifts? Joy, that's good. Gratitude. I mean, I, I would say gratitude's a little heavier, a little more in depth than appreciation. You're undeserving, right? You know, when, when, when you have a need, or maybe you have a surplus, and then someone gives you something, you're kind of like, I already have everything I need. That's what's happened to Esau. It can, it can accidentally be belittled, right? Now, I remember being, um, I went on a missions trip 
back in high school, we would go down to Juarez, Mexico um, every summer, and we would make these houses. And I mean, what, what were they, like eight by, yeah, 11 by 22 houses, okay? And we would spend a whole week um, make, you know, building this house, and it'd be a great time, but you have a ton of crazy youth students just doing crazy things in the streets of Mexico, um, and they're slowly and surely getting to uh, completion of this project, and we present this house to this family, and you know, know what happens? The family, um, at the end, as a way of showing appreciation and respect, um, is they, they take a week's worth of wages and they say, we want to feed this group of people. Now, for us, we're like, no, no, we don't want, we, you don't have to feed us. And I remember one time, I'm like, man, why would they do that? Why would they give, like, we shouldn't take their food. We shouldn't do these things. And we got pulled aside by one of our leaders and they said, you don't understand, like, culturally, this is very important to them, you know, that, that they are able to give of what they have as a, as a meeting of gratitude. Um, and, you know, I learned a valuable lesson. A lot of us learned a valuable lesson that don't reject a gift from someone. It's just a, as much of a blessing to them as it is to you, right? This was, this was a blessing to Jacob to be able to give a blessing. And Esau, you know, is, is not really putting it together, and that's, that's okay, but again, you're seeing... Jacob's obedience. And another thing, too, is, you know, he, talk, he uses the word favor several times. Now, the word favor um, in Hebrew is the word hesed, okay? So, um, when we talk about favor now, sometimes it's un- unfortunately been perverted um, or, you know, misconstrued as, like, um, a prosperity thing, okay? Like, if I, if I said, well, God has just really favored me, well, that could come across as arrogant, that may not be what I'm trying to say, right? And, and has said is talking about God's mercy and graciousness. So when he's talking to Esau, he, he gets it, even though he's not a believing man. He understands that word, that God has been gracious to me, even though I've done some pretty bad things to you. He's being a good, a good witness to Esau. Now, We'll go back to verse 10. It says, uh, Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my presence. And then I stop there because this is something else we're going to talk about. Is, For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. So please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Now, when, when Esau, or sorry, when Jacob is talking about seeing the face of God, think of all the other encounters that Jacob had had up to this point. They were all very personal, and they were encounters with God or some, uh, an angel that was sent from the Lord to bring him a vision. And this is the first time where it is, it is actually... Um, through another human being that is not, you know, supernatural. And we can learn something here, that we get to see the face of the Lord through people that we encounter all the time. Through what? Through their graciousness and their kindness. What was going to be kind of a crazy encounter, or at least what was the angst that Jacob had was that he thought he was going to battle it out, right? That he was going to battle it out, um, and it wasn't going to be good. Um, he was where he was going to be on the receiving end of a, of a fatal blow. And, you know, we've all been there, right? I'm sure everyone here has dealt with conflict. We've run, it, we, we've run the drill before. You know, we, someone says, hey, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. You get a quick little, you know, Slack message from your boss saying, hey, can you come in my office? I worked in sales for um, about seven years, um, and I always remember, you know, I'd make a sale, and I would hear back maybe from the person I had sold to, and they'd say, hey, a few months go in, hey, I'd love to talk with you. You know how much, like, angst I'd have? I'd be like, I've, it's almost guaranteed two things. They're definitely not calling me to, you know, wish me happy birthday, okay? They, they, they have a complaint. They have some beef. And that's, I mean, I would call that pretty trivial, but... When we have that angst, when we have to deal with conflict, 
it can be exhausting, right? Day in and day out, that's what's on our minds. It can be intimidating. It draws a lot of emotional things out of us. But I loved, again, what, what Jacob had done when he was bowing down. He, he was bringing some humility. And what does humility do to conflict? It softens the heart. Almost every time. Now, this isn't, you know, the five steps of how to handle conflict. But, you know, humility is a great place to start. You know, all out throughout Scripture, God asks us to look um, at the interests of others and not ourselves. You know, not to repay evil with evil. Um, we, that we be quick to listen and slow to speak. Right? Slow to be angry. These are all things that were not normal of Jacob, and he's, he's learning. And it's through a 20-year journey. I'm pretty sure that the Lord also brought Laban in his life to kind of figure out how to manage some of these tensions, too, if you hadn't caught on. 2 Timothy 4, 23 through 26 says, Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish or ignorant arguments that only starts fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone and be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. I mean, Paul knows what he's telling Timothy. You're always going to encounter someone that's difficult, and that doesn't mean you just run away from that issue. Sometimes the difficult person is yourself. Okay, 25, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. You know, is that gently instruct? Not harshly? Not sarcastically? Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. 26 says, then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Man, when we see the face of God, we get to see it through Jacob that he's seeing God's grace and mercy. And we see this for ourselves, and my prayer is that if you're in a place like that, that you, you would be able to see the face of God through kindness and forgiveness. Now, this is an assumption that, you know, up to this point, Jacob, again, had only seen God through, you know, one-on-one encounters, but God is starting to show him grace through the face of people. And this is where things are changing. And I don't know about you, but I have not had any, you know, one-on-one encounters with the Lord like that ever. It's, it's mostly been through people and my own hardships. You know, forgiveness is where it can all start. And maybe you're someone in here when you're dealing with some conflict that you maybe need to seek forgiveness for your actions. This is what Jacob is, is doing. And he's not trying to buy it, right? The intentions of his heart is to be obedient and say, like, I just want you to show that the favor the Lord has had on me. Because that favor was undeserved. What Grace is undeserved, right? Not based on our own merit. That's what makes it the good news. It's that has said. Now, we'll keep going. Verse 12 of 33. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and the herds are, care, are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children until I come to, to the Lord and say So Esau said, let me leave with some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So again, um, Jacob's saying, hey, like, I I think I'm good, okay? I I did my part. I don't know if this needs to keep going on. And and there's some discernment there. I don't really know why he made that decision other than Esau wants to continue the relationship. And Jacob is saying, like, no, I think this is what the Lord had brought me to do. For us, it's, it's, again, to to maybe find that 
that stopping point. You don't always have to continue a relationship after you've reached reconciliation with somebody. 16 says, So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booze for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth or Succoth. 18, And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Now, who in your translation, you know, what does it say, like, what is the meaning of that El Elohe Israel? Anyone? The God of Israel, in some translation might say, the mighty is the Lord, or mighty is the God of Israel. So we come to a, a really great point where Jacob is starting to recognize God in a different way, right? And that happens to all of us. Now, after reading this, we have a few takeaways um, and realize it's not over. When we jump into 34, there's some drastic things, but we're starting to see this massive shift of, of the character of Jacob going from a man that lived in the flesh to a man that is living in the spirit. We've seen this happen before for Abraham or and Isaac, right? And actually lots of others. But a, a few things is that Jacob found his peace with God. While I read this verse, can I get um, two different people to read um, Romans 5, verse 1 through 5, and then someone else read Romans 12, uh, verse 19 through 21. I'm going to read this, though. It says, Psalm, uh, Psalm 111, verse 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all those who delight in them. Okay, so Jacob is starting to understand and find peace that God is in control, that his works are good. Even the work that he did on him physically through wrestling with him. Anyone have Romans 5? Yeah, you read it, read it loud for us. Um, yeah, sorry, one through five. Thank you. Now, I'm going to read it again in, in different translation, but ju just for the sake of those online. Okay, it says, Therefore, since we have been right, made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God. And this is what's happening to Jacob. He's finding his peace with God. He's made righteous before him. He was on this journey. So he's, he has peace with God because of what Jesus Christ did on our what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege, again, that has said his mercy, where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strengths of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Notice this, this confident hope, not just hope, okay, that we have confidence in that hope of our salvation. And this hope will not lead um, to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Jacob is a man that went from walking in the flesh to walking in the spirit. And the word tells us to walk in spirit. 
Because we, we no longer have to lack confidence in that. And that's what's happening in Jacob. Who's got 12, uh, Romans 12, 19 through 21? Anyone? All right. Brother Lee, lead it loud, please. Man, so again, Jacob is living this out, okay? What Paul addresses later, many, many years later. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, okay? For us, like, we are not, you know, the judge and jury. Sometimes we have to leave that to him. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right? Jacob, in this wrestling match, is, he's fighting that temptation. He's running, he's running out of all sorts of last resorts. And the Lord is merciful to say, hey, this is... This would not be a blessed thing. I'm not blessing that. I'm not blessing what you think the blessing should be. I'm going to give you the true blessing. We all have that struggle. Sometimes we pray things we don't know what we mean. And he protects us from those things sometimes. And sometimes we run from them, unfortunately. Because it can be difficult. Now, Jacob's progression and maturity takes a long time, okay? He went from being, a, you know, a taker to a, a giver, a schemer, to a peacemaker. But it, how long did that take? 20 plus years. That makes him almost 90. Almost 90. We should be encouraged by this, by the way. Okay? We, some of us are late bloomers, and some of us just get in line right away. Some of us just have, have faith that we just say, okay, God, like you said this, I'm right here. And some of us, man, we fight, I mean, until he does some damage to our hip. Right? We fight. Now, get this, though. This is, this is one of my favorite parts. Um, and don't walk away uh, without seeing this. Uh, we, he goes from the progression. In chapter 28, um, Jacob has this encounter with the Lord, right? And that is about Jacob's ladder saying, hey, do you see what's happening here, the descendants, and it's, it's a blessing, and it's a promise. Um, in 28, though, as he's having this dream at Bethel, he basically makes a conditional vow. Did you notice that? He makes a conditional vow saying, if God will be with me, and, I will watch, and he'll watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. That's a good first step. You know what he does? He builds a pillar. It's a, uh, a memorial. But watch this, okay? It goes from a memorial to now at the end of 33, it goes to an altar. A conditional statement saying, if God watches me and takes care of me, then I can come to him. Then I'll say he's my Lord. But here he starts to acknowledge and worship and sacrifice, he says, uh, he, there he set up an altar at the God, God of Israel, or the mighty God of Israel. The other men of faith, what happened to Abraham? He had an encounter with the Lord. He was Abram, but literally God said, hey, this is going to happen. Boom, just like that, he builds an altar. He doesn't build a memorial. He didn't say, well, if God does this or that. He says, okay, I'm changing my ways. He was not he did not who God, know who God was, right? He worshiped other gods. And something happened right there. Again, Jacob is a late bloomer. But he builds an altar. Now, what is an altar? It's a place where you offer something to the Lord. 
you offer a sacrifice. Romans 12, you know, 1 talks about living a, a sacrificial life. May your life be a sacrifice. That is what it is for us. But it's not conditional, right? It is unconditional because of His unconditional love for us. You're starting to see this life change, this cyclical thing happen for Jacob. So maybe most of you can resonate, right? Uh, we have some built-up shame or guilt of being, sl- of being slow. Well, you, don't have to, you don't have to feel shame in that. But we have to continue to fight for it and continue to be mindful of it. And those of you that just kind of get in line, you know, good for you and don't feel bad about that either. There is this society out there that will, like, make shame people saying, like, well, you just, you're just, you know, half-glass-full person, and you can just go along with it, and, like, you shouldn't feel bad about that either. But I'm mostly addressing, you know, those of you that are maybe a little bit slower or uh, in, in coming to some resolve of, of what God is leading you to, that's not a bad thing. It's sanctification. God is working in you. Now, there are some of us that have gone through some really tough trials, you know, true traumas over decades. There's some of you here that have blown it, that truly say, man, that, I mean, that has defined me my whole life. You might have someone in your life that has done that. For some of us, the burden is just too heavy to carry or what seems impossible. And, and it's never too late to grow up. It really isn't. We have a long life on this earth. But in our society, or what we call the world and our flesh, we have this idea of what it means to grow up and arrive. Okay? And what's kind of funny is um, the world has kind of said, hey, this is the progression that you need to live in, and it's changed over time. Um, but what unfortunately has happened is it's stagnated growth. They say, hey, this is the way you should grow, and it's actually kept you down. I wouldn't even say that's happened in Christian circles, but, you know, we, we have seen that over time. But maturity should not be measured on your behavior. What should your maturity be measured on? It should be measured on your genuine faith. Okay, I'll say it again, you know, that maturity should not be, be measured on your behavior, but in your genuine faith, and you will see the fruit from that. You know, I am, you know I'm in all these different pockets of pastors and people, and um, the more I think that I'm alone, actually, the more I realize I'm not, um, just by sharing stories, and, um, you know, I think... That, that is the hard part is when you isolate yourself, you kind of think that you're, you're like the only person or maybe you're the only couple or you're the only family that has to deal with the hardships or even say, man, I wish I could just get over this place. And the reality is, is that God has us in those hardships for a purpose. He wants to edify us. He wants to do what he did with Jacob for us, which was a blessing, right? He saw the face of the Lord because of the forgiveness that Esau had for him. And Esau, by the way, did not become a converted person, but he was maturing also. But we have to be discerning of, okay, this genuine faith, is that is this of the Lord or is this of the world? They're two different measuring sticks. And that's why, that's why we need to be here. Again, we need to continue to encourage and edify one another. That's why we need to be in the Word, because that's what we test our lives against, is what does the Word say? Not what does the world say. Yes, right? I'm going to invite the worship team up. And so in, in closing, you know, the overarching thing that we also shouldn't miss, okay, is that, that Jacob wanted to continue to, to fill the gap or the pain in his heart 
in the, the, the hurting um, or even maybe the guilt that he had um, from how he's behaved and how he's deceived. I think he's, he's starting to see, he's like, man, I, I really didn't do that right. You know, even 20 years earlier. And, and he, that stuff has weighed on him. I mean, imagine being a child, you know, that lived, uh, that didn't live with much character. But somehow the Lord is saying, I'm, st- I'm still going to bless you. And through this journey, he starts to realize that God is going to bless me, just not the way that I saw it. Or other people had said it was going to happen. He was, he was deceiving. He was meddling. He was worrying. Um, he had wounds and distrust from Laban, probably several others, but uh, mental turmoil. Just like Jacob, you know, we want to avoid certain situations, but we can't. And you can't do it alone. And what God is saying is, you can't do this without me. That's what that whole wrestling match is about. You can't do this without me. And I will be faithful to you. So I want to take a moment here, okay? Now, online, I want to encourage you in this exercise as well too, okay? But today you might have a certain emotion in you that you didn't know you'd have. Maybe it's sadness or anger, frustration. Maybe it's disgust, bitterness, worthlessness, confusion, grief, apathy, envy, traumatized, maybe you're wandering and lost. We all experience these every once in a while. And I'm just going to read you a few scriptures. This comes from 1 John 2, 1 through 2. It says, My little children, I write you these things that you may not violate God's law and sin. But if anyone should sin, we have an advocate an advocate, the one who intercedes for us with the Father. And who is the advocate? It's Jesus Christ, the all-righteous, upright, and just, who conforms to the Father's will in every purpose, thought, and action. And he, that's Jesus, is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for our, ours alone, but also for the whole world. Again, Christ is the advocate for us. What's happening here is, is God in that encounter with Jacob is saying, hey, like, I'm the one that's standing in the gap for you. I'm the one that's going to take care of this, not you. And again, you don't know what you're asking for, but it's going to be way better than what you want to be blessed in. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you and he'll never let the righteous be shaken. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts, comforts us in all our troubles that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from the Lord. Man, what I want to do is just invite you this morning to say, God, we're, I need you to stand in this gap. If your heart is heavy or you're feeling confusion or frustration or all those other things I listed, invite God in. And I'm going to ask you to do something bold. If this morning, if you feel that you are just feeling that you need God to stand in the gap for something for you. Will you just raise your hand? All right, listen, there's, there's a good amount of hands. If you're online, raise your hand too. If you are not raising your hand, keep your hands raised if you are. Probably won't get everybody, but you see all these hands? It's all of us. And I want to pray for you I just want to pray that God 
We hear our prayer that we need you to stand in the gap for me, for my family. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness you've shown Jacob and that we can walk confidently. You show that same faithfulness to us, to me. Lord, I trust you with my vulnerability. I trust you with my weaknesses. I trust you in the midst of conflict. God, I pray for those that had their hands raised and those online that have their hands raised. God, would you hear their prayer? Would you deal gently and mercifully to them? Let them see the face of God. God, I pray as we come to this time of worship that we would that we would be able to set aside ourselves and we give you all the praise and glory this morning. God, we love you. In your name, amen. As we continue to praise the Lord, I want to go back to that Romans 12, 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Another version might say acceptable. Listen, we were in this room, I asked people to raise their hands, um, and if someone caught a hand of someone, they say, man, I'm, I feel led to go pray for them. I would encourage you to do that. Now, if no one comes to you and you need prayer, go find someone. And as we respond, we do have a remembrance of what Christ did for us on the cross through communion on both sides. Also, joyful giving is also a way to bring that sacrifice. And of course, prayer. But let's continue to bring our good and pleasing and perfect offering to Him. Our sacrifice to Him as we continue to worship.